All right. Simmer down and relax. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Now it's showtime. I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got another icon of Echoes and one musician's reaction to the political climate of the last few years. Wax Taylor is a French artist, but he's concerned with the fate of the world on his latest album of found sound, vocal cut-ups, and songs that are as humorous as they are poignant, the shadow of their sons. Then we'll hear from the twelfth icon of Echoes, Moby. You know him, he may be number twelve, but besides Enya, he may also be the best-known icon of Echoes in the wider world. Got an extended profile of him drawn from my five interviews across the last decade or so. Before we get to that, let me tell you about Echoes Online, our streaming subscription service. You can get all 10 hours of Echoes programs we produce each week, a backlog of some 30-plus shows, plus exclusive online-only streams. And you can do it all on your free Echoes app or your computer if you want. If the public stations in your area are clueless or you want to find a more convenient listening time, like whenever you want, then you need to find out about Echoes Online. You can do that at echoes.org. And now, let's spin some vinyl with Wax Taylor. Wax Taylor is the persona of Jean-Christophe Lesseau, a French composer who actually started out as a radio disc jockey before evolving into a producer and creator. He's less of a musician and more of a collagist, bringing together sounds, samples, live players and singers, and cutting them up into his often riotous songs. His new album, The Shadow of Their Sons, takes a different turn into politics, or more specifically, the social injustice and inequities of the world. Yes, absolutely. This one is clearly more political. I felt a kind of urgency. Wax Taylor is talking to me on Zoom from his home studio in Paris, where, like the rest of the world, he's been in different stages of pandemic lockdown. At the moment we talk, we got a 6 p.m. curfew. It used to be a 8 p.m. and we're expecting a, a third lockdown in a few days, I imagine. So I think the more difficult in France uh, is not to deal with the crisis, even if it's a hard period, but it's to deal with, uh, let's say, inconsistency. Uh, <laughs> and uh, except that, like you guys, are uh, looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not the pandemic that's gotten Wax Taylor in a more political mood. It's the world. I'm not so old, but old enough to watch back and feel that we are at the edge of the cliff with this system we live in. I think there is an acceleration from September 11 to set a date. And if you watch back the 20 past years uh, with all different kind of crises we went through, from September 11, right, to the subprime crisis, to the Arab Spring, uh, the terrorism attack in Europe, the rise of extremism, the yellow jacket in France, so many very different facts, but for me, linked by a system and its success. Underdog. Underdog. 
shine bright, hold tight, underdog. When you make it to the other side, underdog. Remember how you feel inside. Wax Taylor himself doesn't write lyrics. Instead, he constructs them from found sound of voice snippets from TV, movies, commercials, and whatever he can find. In a certain way, let's say that I create some lyrics from a, a mosaic of phrases, of dialogues. Not all the time, but I, I really love this exercise. The struggles represented by the Black Lives Matter movement were high on Wax Taylor's mind. On a short 29-second interlude, he employs the voice of the late Gil Scott Heron, an icon of black social consciousness. And the opening track of The Shadow of Their Sons is Fear of a Blind Planet. Any fan of OG hip-hop understands that reference. title of this opening track is uh, Fear of a Blind Planet, clearly a reference to uh, Fear of a Black Planet from Public Enemy. There's uh, also a direct reference to 1984 from uh, George Orwell for this track. I've used the phrase, uh, who control the past, control the future, who control the present, control the past. It is not only a, a syllogism, of course uh, we are in a very different system nowadays, but Still, he was very visionary. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Who controls the past? Controls the future? Who controls the present? Controls the past. from yesterday to build tomorrow this gives us to think about the mass media and more widely about our relation with uh, the information especially in this period we, we live in and when we talk about 1984 most of the people they think about big brother that is now a usual word uh, we use but there's way more in this book than we find in our everyday lives like uh, for example this concept of newspeak Newspeak is like a, a weapon for most of the politicians nowadays when they try to sell us a dirty concept with a, let's say, a dirty concept with a good packaging. The key track on The Shadow of Their Sons is called Misery. It has a very familiar voice. Some people seem to be doing well nowadays. Others Actually, those happen. speech elements come from Mario Cuomo's speech in uh, 
1984 at the Democratic uh, National Convention in San Francisco. The track came first with the discourse that I had in mind, Misery is my friend, like an image of uh, poverty, like a second skin. And uh, But then I found this speech and uh, I realized it was the perfect fit. I like the context against uh, Ronald Reagan. I think uh, he was answering him about a speech he did earlier. I also like those words because they got a universal dimension and nearly 40 years later, uh, unfortunately, it still makes sense and talk to the soul. Criticism is a bit more overt in some of the hip-hop tracks like Shining Underdog with rapper Boog Brown. And all the moments culminate in time and space, give and take, live in grace, keep the pace if you choose to chase. So many The song Everybody with rappers Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Mr. Lift sounds like a modern day work song. It's a rap song in a traditional way and uh, hip-hop is uh, in the extension of a tradition. We're working sound had a function to, uh, uh, let's say, relieve the pain of a hard, hard job to help workers in their lives. Uh, and uh, we live in this world with no real consideration for workers. Of course, you, you can compare those periods and situation, but still there is a link. And then also there is the, the chorus in this track that I built with uh, this voice uh, hook. Uh, I think I had in mind uh, this thing about everybody, everybody like uh, we the people, but I like the idea that the, let's say the problem is universal and we are all concerned and, and it can bring back to our dark history. The dark root when the whole world needs a reboot, told my mans if we could link and make a track then we'd be on, but I was wrong, now all my friends work for Amazon. But it's his collage approach to voices that makes up the core of Wax Taylor's sound on tracks like Never Forget, the central vocal sample inspired the entire piece. It's uh, really part of my process and the, the typical gimmick that comes to your mind while you, you listen to some old vinyls, for example. At one point you hear a loop it's not a loop yet, but for me, it is already a loop. Uh, I remember that I've kept this element for a very long time. And uh, actually, this happened quite often when uh, I got no evidence. It makes me think about one phrase that I use for Kessera. I have the key in my hand, all I have to find is the lock. Maybe this, this one resumes a lot about my process. Sometimes uh, it just takes uh, some time to find luck. Out of his mind. I got a little jingle upstairs, fellas. A brainstorm. 
Waxtail is an artist who finds himself on the outskirts of music. He sits in the middle of a Venn diagram of Pierre-Henri, Olga Shukai, Public Enemy, Stereolab, and Dickie Goodman. For that last one, look up The Flying Saucer. This is John Cameron Cameron on the spot. And now I believe we're about to hear the words of the first spaceman ever to land on Earth. Oh, bam, 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 boom. And now here are the ball scores. Four to three, six to two, and eight to one. The impact of seeing the It's a shame, but also little wonder that Wax Taylor doesn't get played on radio much these days. It's a subject he takes on with the song on the air. I often receive kind of messages uh, of people saying they regret not to hear me or on most of the radios, uh, like uh, like plenty of other independent artists actually. And uh, I often answer that it's the record industry and uh, in record industry, you got industry, that's it. It's uh, as simple as that. It's a cash game with those kind of radios, <laughs> that's it. Well, you don't have to pay us off to get on the air. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Black Taylor isn't on a political crusade, but he does think music is a way of opening up hearts and minds. I also really believe that the more interesting is to use your form of expression to uh, touch the sensibility of people who listen to your music. The more you touch by a movie, a book or an album, the more you are aware of the world around you and the more you arm against certain speeches. Just words. Taylor's new album is The Shadow of Their Sons out on Laboratoire. They often underestimate or overlook the unpredictability of the human element. I'll have a link for Wax Taylor's The Shadow of Their Sons in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. And now, another icon of Echoes as we count up the 30 that you chose for our first 30 years. This is the 12th icon, Richard Melville Hall, better known as Moby. We play a lot of fairly obscure musicians on Echoes when it comes to public knowledge of them, but one name you can say in just about any room and people know who you're talking about is Moby. He has been influencing music since his 1990 debut. His 1999 album, Play, was one of the last great albums of the 20th century. Since then, he's explored ambient singer-songwriter modes, electro-pop, deep, deep ambiences, and punk rock. He's also written two memoirs. Those are some of the reasons he's the 12th of 30 Icons of Echoes.
My name's Moby, and I was born September 11th, 1965, in Harlem, New York, and my job is I make music. I first interviewed Moby in 2009. Back then, Moby sat in a Philadelphia hotel room, bald, unshaven, wearing glasses and an untucked t-shirt, and holding his lunch, a vegan cheesesteak. Speaking to him a decade later, he looked pretty much the same except with new tattoos, stating vegan for life and animal rights in block letters on his neck and arms, respectively. His impact spans generations, including newcomers like Germany's Thomas Lemmer. I like uh, Moby stuff a lot because he has a quite unique sound with a, with a bit of a retro touch to it. He's also got fans in the generation that influenced him, like French electronic icon Jean-Michel Jarre, who collaborated with him on Electronica One. Moby is a fantastic musician. I, I used to call him the uh, Woody Allen of techno. And he has the, uh, this kind of depressive approach to sound, but also hiding kind of uh, joy somehow. And, and uh, I, really, I really like him. He's, he's a real poet. Richard Melville Hall and got his nickname from his parents due to a distant relationship to Moby Dick author Herman Melville. Growing up in Connecticut, his mother taught him piano and he studied classical guitar. But his musical direction came from other sources. Well, the first three years that I was studying music, I had a music teacher who only liked complicated music. He liked complicated free jazz, he liked experimental classical music. But then I discovered four things. I discovered punk rock. I discovered old blues. I, I discovered disco. <laughs> and I discovered experimental electronic music. And these genres are predicated on the ideas of simplicity. Moby's simple songs are often more complicated than you'd suspect, but that's part of his art. He's always been drawn to atmosphere more than structure. When I was like 12, 13, I mainly liked vocal-driven music. And then I started hearing My Life in the Bush of Ghosts and the B-side to, to David Bowie's Heroes and some Kraftwerk records. And I really fell in love with that idea of atmospheric instrumental music. Moby had an unstable home life. His father died in a car crash when Moby was two, and his mother was into drugs. They always lived on the edge, often existing on food stamps. Even when Moby moved out, he lived in an abandoned factory while DJing in New York City clubs. In the factory, he began crafting his own music with a four-track recorder, a synthesizer, and a drum machine. After a few false starts and several pseudonyms, he recorded the song Go, which borrowed a melody from the Twin Peaks soundtrack by Angelo Badalamenti. Although Moby has done his share of sampling, he actually performed this theme. 
because I recorded Go originally. It was this very minimal electronic piece of music, and I was a big fan of Twin Peaks, so I tried to put Laura Palmer's theme from Twin Peaks onto the song Go, and I tried to sample it, but it was way too slow. So I then had to replay it with a synthesizer and a piano, which I got really lucky because I'd wanted to sample it, but I couldn't sample it, so as a result, I didn't get sued. After effects of Go reverberated throughout Moby's music as he released dance floor hits like Next is the E and Feeling So Real. While Moby was pumping up the volume in clubs and raves, he was also making ambient music. He discovered it as a teenager. I first discovered ambient music that was called ambient music when I heard the B-side to Heroes by David Bowie. Um, and then there was a record store in Connecticut near where I grew up. And one of the guys who worked in the record store was obsessed with EG records that had ever, you know, everyone from Harold Budd to Brian Eno. And that was my introduction to ambient music. That influence would emerge on his 1999 album, Play. Inspired partly by a collection of Alan Lomax Field recordings, Moby put archival voices singing gospel, blues, and field songs over electronic moods, melodies, and beats. The way in which music was approached in the mid-20th century and early 20th century, music then was the product of a sort of like social milieu or a culture. When you listen to a vocal recording from 1930 or 1940, it's a document of a voice that is the product of a very specific culture, as opposed to a professional musician. There's a degree of authenticity. song Natural Blues that had these wonderful vocals recorded by a woman named Vera Hall and no one today sings like that. So if I want to have really that, 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 that earnest, slightly pained quality to a voice, sometimes I need to go back 50 or 60 years to try and find it. They exploded, selling over 12 million copies with every song licensed to either commercials, film, or TV. Mobius quick to acknowledge the influences on play, including, once again, 
Brian Eno. Can't think of a single musician who's influenced me more than Brian Eno. From early Roxy Music to producing Devo and Talking Heads and My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, because his approach to music was so experimental and textural. Like when I made Play, I remember doing interviews afterwards and some journalists would come to me and say, wow, what a novel idea, sampling all these vocals. And I, I would say to them, I was like, no, actually, David Byrne and Brian Eno did it 20 years ago. In 2009, a decade after play, he began a trilogy of albums, Wait For Me, Destroyed, and Innocence. They revealed a more introspective side that fell between ambient singer-songwriter and electronic pop. I mean, I love loud, crazy punk rock, and I love exuberant dance music, but the music that means the most to me tends to be the music that's quieter and more introspective and more emotional and more personal. I just wanted to make a record that, that to me felt more emotional and, subjectively speaking, more personal. Put me on the train Send me back my home Couldn't live without you When I tried to roam Put He recorded the albums with live singers that had a certain gravitas and mournfulness to their voices. I tend to love vocals that are both beautiful and sort of fragile. You know, like, I mean, I love, like, a good, big gospel singer and someone who's got, like, a big, belting voice. Which he explores with singer Ingyang Basi. The voices I'm most attracted to are voices that are, are idiosyncratic, beautiful, but have this sort of qual like inherent quality of fragility to them. Um, like on the album Wait For Me, there's a song called Wait For Me that my friend Kelly Scar sings, and her voice just always sounds like it's an inch away from falling apart. And that's the quality that I really respond to in people's voices. I'm gonna ask you to look away On most of Moby's earlier albums, you'll find an acknowledgement thanking Jesus Christ, often as boldly stated as you'd find on any Christian album. Moby doesn't consider himself a Christian or member of any religion, but he embraced Jesus in the mid-1980s. I mean, I, I, I truly love the teachings of Christ, you know, forgiveness, humility, non-judgmentalism, love, and I would call myself a Christian in the most basic humble, personal, subjective sense of the word. But what surrounds a lot of religious practice for me that, I'm, that I find really appealing is that the human quality of it, the brokenness, the longing, 
the needing comfort, the needing love and understanding, and the music that comes from that, the more plaintive, introspective, mournful side of religious music. You can hear Christian imagery in some of his music, including instrumental tracks like God Moving Over the Face of the Waters. In the beginning of the Bible, there's this great passage about when God made the earth, and before he created land, the earth was covered in water, and this great image of God moving over the face of the waters. When I was listening to that piece of music before I gave it a title, I was thinking of that, like, before there was land, you know, before there was life, before anything, just, you know, the spirit of God moving over the face of the waters, was it's, it's such an amazing image, this idea of consciousness five billion years before humans. It was such a powerful song that director Michael Mann used it in its entirety for the climactic scene of his movie, Heat. That still stands as the use of my music in a movie of which I'm most proud. Moby's cosmology can also be found in his pop songs like We Are All Made of Stars. Moby has found some controversy in recent years. He's released a pair of memoirs, The Triumphal Porcelain, and the brutally candid, self-loathing follow-up, Then It All Fell Apart. That last one ignited some Me Too accusations in 2019 and caused Moby to pull away for a while, but he returned with the album All Visible Objects, which seemed tuned in to the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the crisis in American politics, even though it was mostly written prior to those events. The album contains the EDM-driven political protest song, The Power is Taken. We who hate oppression must fight against the oppressor. Power is not shared. Power is taken. It was released, perhaps presciently, two weeks before the George Floyd murder. My management company came to me and said, oh, should we re-release Power is Taken? And I was like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> The times do not call for more anger. I don't want to do anything that would stoke people's anger and vitriol anymore. Like, it's the absolute wrong song for this time because it's too perfect of a song. But he also wrote songs that seemed just right for the year of pandemic, even though they were written before, like, too much change. I mean, it was written about nine months ago, so it 
wasn't necessarily informed by the apocalypses that we're living through. But Denise Apollo Jane, who's the singer on the song, she texted me recently and she said, you know, it's both weird and a little disconcerting that this song is so apt. You know, because when it was written, the world was still relatively normal. And it's the confusion aspect of it is, you could say, broadly speaking, is the human condition. You know, because the human condition is one of complete uncertainty. I think I'd use complete uncertainty to describe Moby's career, but it has been completely unpredictable in the most exhilarating way, always moving forward. I think the danger is either like spending too much time in the past, at least for me, or the danger of somehow thinking that the past was a lot more halcyon-ish than it actually was. Of any artist, Moby has been making the music of our time. He's the 12th icon of Echoes. Moby remains one of the most fascinating and insightful musicians out there. He is also one of only five of the 30 icons for 30 years of Echoes who actually began recording in the Echoes era after 1989. He's had four Echoes CD of the Month picks in that time. I'll have links to the reviews for them in the posting for this podcast. Next week on the Echoes podcast, the beautiful psychosis of Leandril and our 13th icon of Echoes, Pat Metheny. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want. <laughs>